When I drove out of the parking lot of the Cincinnati Toy Show in October of 2019 and headed east for a long ride back home, I remember feeling a pang of sadness that I was leaving Ohio. I knew I would return for the Columbus Toy Show in March of the following year, but that was five months away, which felt like such a long time to wait. Still, going to Columbus twice a year was part of my routine. It was baked into my schedule. I would block off time from work for each show months in advance, simply because I knew where I would be during a weekend in the spring and in the fall. So once the snow began to melt and the spring of 2020 was upon us, I prepared for my trek out to Columbus. But it turns out the soothsayer's warning in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar was a prescient one in the year of the pandemic. Beware the Ides of March. With the threat of an unknown virus prowling the country, the hope of a spring Columbus show started to diminish very quickly. After traveling to each Columbus and Cincinnati show for the past three years, I couldn't imagine missing one. But it was out of my hands, and it was beyond any of our control. And with the quarantine came the cancellation of three Columbus Toy Show weekends. That's right, one in the spring of 2020, one later that fall, and then one in the spring of 2021. For me, in that year and a half, Ohio was no longer a state. It was a moment that only existed in the past, entwined with wonderful memories. I was speaking with a friend this summer, and I realized that it had been almost two years since I had been back to Ohio. It may not seem like a long time, but to me, it was shocking. By traveling out to those toy shows over the years, I met so many collectors, many of whom I'm blessed to call friends today. Each road trip brought with it valuable life lessons that have strengthened me and changed me, hopefully for the better. There was magic in the littlest instances during each Columbus Toy Show weekend. Whether it was finding a quaint town with a restaurant operating like it was in the 1960s, or standing under the awning of a show building as it rained steadily and praying with a friend before leaving for the weekend. Watching a show come together before the sun rose on a Sunday morning. Sitting in a hotel lobby with a handful of friends during a late-night room sales. Tiny special moments that are forever embedded on the timeline of my life. And at some point, rays of light broke through the clouds of the year-long pandemic, and CTS Promotions put out an announcement that the Columbus Toy and Game Show would finally take place again, on Sunday, August 29th. I was determined to attend the first Columbus show in almost two years. And on Friday, August 27th, I packed my backpack and suitcase and prepared for an eight-hour trek out west. This is an account of a trip out to Columbus, Ohio, to see old friends again, to make new ones, and to hunt for vintage and modern Star Wars collectibles. This is a look at some of the amazing finds I've had at the show over the years. This is a walkthrough of the show during Saturday's setup, as a toy show comes together. This is what happens when you put more than 400 tables together and fill a room with vendors and collectors. This is the Columbus Toy Show Weekend. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Will be with you always. 
In addition to being the capital of Ohio, Columbus is the home to the main campus of the Ohio State University. Attending a show in the fall, the surrounding towns are awash with the fans of the Buckeyes college football team. And seeing the families decked out in the team's red, white, and silver colors is not just common. It's expected. They descend upon the area for a game, and it really adds to the excitement and bustle of the weekend. However, CTS Promotions, headed by my friend James Ford, scheduled this show a few weeks earlier than usual. And in the place of the usual patrons of the college games were families taking their final vacations before school began. I had gotten off to a late start on Friday morning. I wasn't in any rush to get out to Ohio, and for a larger trip like this, wanted to make sure I was well-rested and that I had everything I needed. So I'm heading out, finally, to Columbus, Ohio, for the Columbus Toy Show. Today is Friday, and it is a beautiful day. Uh, It's about, I think it's somewhere around 90 degrees, 95 degrees out. Um, Beautiful clouds in the sky. I'm just going through Pennsylvania now, on my way to Ohio. And so I always do the trip in two parts. I basically split this up into two, two driving times. And so for Friday, I'll drive six hours. I get to the Ohio border, and I stay at a hotel in St. Clairsville, Ohio. And I always go to this restaurant uh, called Melman's Cafeteria. So it's, it's just a great spot. It's a quiet little place. It's one of these little gems that I, I found, you know, just going to a toy show and... Um, For me, there's just something special about going there. So a little bit about the show. It's put on by CTS Productions um, and uh, James Ford. He's a a collector. Uh, He he runs the show. He also runs the Cincinnati show as well. And he's just a super nice guy, really knowledgeable guy too. Um, Has a really good understanding of, of bagged Star Wars figures. Kenner Star Wars figures, which is a always a plus. Um, but he runs what I believe are, uh, is one of the best shows, if not the best show, in the U.S., which is the Columbus Toy Show. As a straightforward toy show, you know, sometimes he'll get uh, actors and, and voice actors to show up, uh, which is great. But this is really a toy show. It's a massive toy show. Um, as it's gone on in the years, they've expanded, you know, and they've used more of the space that they've had, which is wonderful. Um, they always get in excellent vendors, people who, who bring tons of stuff. Uh, there's a nice balance of modern and vintage. And for me, I like, I like my shows to be almost a 50-50 split, 60% vintage or 70% vintage and uh, 30 or 40% modern is probably the, uh, the, the perfect perfect combination but it's just a it's just a fantastic show and the Cincinnati show is fantastic as well it's it's smaller uh and and really the weekend is more special in the sense that a lot of collectors come in from all over you know and we do things like room sales and visit collectors homes and see their collections and and just you know go to meals together whereas with the Columbus toy show for this weekend this is this is where we get a chance to shop a show where you really get to dive in on bins. Um, you know, you, and there's always a, a couple that bring, um, they, they almost look like, uh, like coin albums or, or even like kind of like smaller picture photo albums. And instead of filling them with photos, they fill them with vintage Kenner star Wars accessories. Um, and so it's always nice, you know, you turn the page and you have a whole page of stormtrooper built blasters with prices. And then the next page is, you know, Luke's yellow lightsabers and biker scout blasters, all different kinds. Um, so I, I think a few years ago, Kyle Rose and I found a Lily Letty biker scout blaster in there for a pretty good price. Um, but, uh, but I mean, the, the vendors who show up at this show, they know what they're doing. Um, you know, they're, they're people like Ryan and Sean Lemkel who've been doing this for years um, and who, who actually, you know, helped to kind of run the, um, the room sales that we do at Cincinnati. 
Uh, you have someone like Zach Curtis, dear friend of mine who I just love, and you know, <laughs> he he seems to find amazing stuff over the year. And then you know, the the Columbus show is uh, is a big part of uh, of his sales, uh, and you know. It always, I, I can't remember how many tables he gets at one time, but if I said five, I, I think, I think five is a good, it's either like three, five tables. Um, but he just, his setup is always, you know, it's a work of art and he has something literally for everybody. Uh, it's one of my favorite things too, is just to walk by his table during the show and to see the different types of people, different ages, um, with different interests, you know, and, and they're all, each one is focused on something different and, and, you know, asking him questions about the pieces, um, and Zach's providing the answers to them. So that part's really special. We really, we get a chance to see so many different items at a show like this, you know, and it's one of those that literally just to do a first pass through everything once the show is set up probably takes at least an hour, if not, if not two hours, you know, if you were to really go through table by table. And I think there are a few shows that could boast those kind of numbers and that that's wonderful. The show is a one day show, which I think is actually uh, beneficial to, to the show and, and to the vendors and to the, the buyers as well too. And with this Columbus show, I think it's done right where it's heavily concentrated. Setup is on Saturday and it runs four hours. So it runs from four o'clock to eight o'clock and then they close down for the night and then they open back up, I think at maybe six, seven o'clock in the morning. And I, for the early bird, I think last time they had something like 400 people waiting around the building to get in for the early bird admission, which is uh, admission where you get in about an hour earlier. And, uh, it's that, that's really wonderful. I mean, that, that's a, that's a great thing. The show itself is, is Sunday. And so everybody is going at the same time to the show. I've met so many nice people traveling out to Ohio I met Zach, which I shared in an episode that he and I did. Um, and I, I truly, I recommend if, you know, if, if you're, if you're interested, uh, at all, uh, that's one worth checking out. Uh, his name's Zach Curtis and it's, it's an episode that I did. I think I called it, uh, a lifetime of, uh, of, of toy finds or a lifetime of, of blessings, toy finds. And Zach is just one of the most positive people I know. He's been blessed over the years, and he's had some incredible finds and, and incredible stories. And um, he has an amazing testimony that's uh, that's woven into his his story of how he became a collector and a dealer. Uh, I also, you know, I, I, I have a friend who brings accessories, vintage Kenner accessories, and I've. As a Luke Jedi fan, um, I'm always happy to add lightsabers and blasters and things like that. And, um, and so I'll, I'll be seeing him again. Um, there, there are so many people, truly. It's one of those things where everybody goes. Everybody who's able to go out goes. And we all meet up and, you know, you get to spend really two days at a, at a beautiful show where you can really, you know, just walk around and talk and get to know people. And I've made so many friends from doing these trips. I, I've never thought that I would go, that I would take a trip to a toy show. There was a time where I just thought, well, I'm not going to spend the money to travel, to get a hotel and to travel out, you know, looking for like a car to Darth Vader when I can just, I'll buy one on eBay. And what I realized since that point, you know, when my friends started, as the more friends that I made at these toy shows and we started having these experiences where it became a toy show weekend, you know, finding items is, is great. Um, and, and really, I mean, when you go to a show like this, you're almost guaranteed to find some, some great items. Um, but it's more about the experiences. And I look now and you know, for me, not being able to go out to Ohio for two years, really almost two years, is, has felt like way too long. It's really strange. I never thought I'd be talking about something like that or, or 
I never thought I'd feel so connected to Ohio, but I do. Um, and I, I think, I think when I look back on collecting at some point and these years, because these years were very special, you know, that, that whole 2015 really to 2019 was marked by the, the sequel trilogy coming out, you know, and, and the excitement around it, the fact that people, because of the films, were in some ways reliving their childhoods, were, were reconnecting to the Star Wars franchise, to the films that they grew up with, to the toys that they grew up with. And there was this true excitement and I mean it's interesting a show like this even though we don't really have room sales and we're not all staying at the same hotel together or it's not you know a meetup or a trip like that spending time with friends at a show is fantastic and one of the excuses it gives us is just a chance to walk around and, and talk and we don't have to be anywhere specific um, you know if we're all going to be at the same show we could sit there and you know walk what could literally be, you know, the course of a mile or a few miles in a day inside the show, just doing laps and having time like that and getting to sit and talk to somebody, you know, and to, to hunt with people as well too. I mean, it's just, that's what bonds us. That's the catalyst for, for, for bringing us together. A little while later, the temperature dropped and the weather changed suddenly. It is 3.30 right now, and it's probably a little hard to hear me. I am driving through what is a torrential rainstorm on my way to Columbus. Um, it seems like every other trip that I take out to Columbus, or maybe every trip to Columbus, uh, tends to be a rainy one. I thought I was going to stave off the rain on the, the Friday part of this, but we got hit pretty hard. Um, as I was driving out, the temperature was in the 90s. It was incredibly hot. Um, I kind of, you know, caked myself in uh, suntan lotion, wanted to make sure I wasn't going to burn as I was driving, doing six hours today. And at some point during the trip, okay, the rain's calmed down a little bit now, but at some point during the trip, all of a sudden, um, it became very overcast and I was like, oh, this is great. You know, it makes for, for perfect driving. And then all of a sudden the temperature went down. I, I looked at my, uh, at the temperature in the car and it said that it was 74 degrees outside, which is a substantial drop, you know, especially in a short time like this and in the middle of the day. And you could really feel it. You could feel it, you know, a change in the air. And then all of a sudden, um, the rain just hit really, really hard. So I went through a tunnel uh, a few minutes ago. And now already, I mean, it, a bunch of ambulances just passed me too. So this is, this could be really dangerous driving weather. Um, fortunately, I think, I think we're okay now. Uh, the sky is starting to, to lighten again, which is nice. Uh, the rain is, is is still coming down, but not no, nowhere near as hard as it just was. And I think you could actually hear it in the recording. So, um. going through this area of Pennsylvania is just gorgeous. Uh, I have a friend who complains that it's kind of boring, you know, because it's. It's just one long road. I mean, I'm, I'm literally on this road for, I think, 256 miles, um, <laughs> which is a long time to be on one road, but but it's beautiful. I mean, there's just, there's farmland all around. Uh, there are gorgeous mountains and the sky looks different. It, it looks even more majestic. Um, oh, wow. Okay, the rain's picking up again and I'm passing what looked to be uh, it looks like a fire truck, a rescue engine. Um, yeah, so I don't doubt that this is going to get a little, a little dangerous now. So I'm going to keep my eyes on the road, but that's just uh, an update for now on a beautiful Friday 
finally heading out to Columbus, Ohio again. First time in almost two years. And so the plan for this trip, and hopefully it falls into some category like this, is I'm um, heading out to St. Clairsville today. And then when I get there, hopefully I'm going to make it in time to eat at Melman's. I'll go back to my hotel, get a really good night's sleep, because uh, tomorrow I'll be busy. I'll wake up, hopefully head back to Melman's for a later breakfast. And then I'm going to drive into Columbus, um, into Grove City to meet my buddy Zach Curtis and we're going to have lunch and then I'm going to stop off at the hotel drop off my stuff and I'm going to meet Pete at the venue I'm going to help him unload uh, I'm going to help my other friend Tony unload and then just walk around hang out with people, shop the show um, and then it sounds like, you know, a bunch of us might go out to eat. You know, we'll see who's there and how tired everybody is and what the plans are. Um, there have been times where everyone sort of hits the end of the night and says, all right, we'll just see you tomorrow. And then there are other times where somebody will say, okay, I, you know, I reserved a, a large table for, you know, a group of 20 of us or whatever, and we'll go to a pizza place or someplace like that. So um, I have a feeling that's going to be what we'll do because it has been so long since we've all been together and I so look forward to that and then we'll head back to the hotel get a good night's sleep for a very short period of time usually that's where we get one of those like four or five hour sleeps and then wake up blisteringly early in the morning and uh, leave the hotel head over to the toy show and I'll stay at the hotel at the and I'll and I'll stay at the toy show probably until about 12, 1 o'clock. And then I do, I do somewhere around four hours um, to uh, an area called New Stanton, Pennsylvania, which is north of Pittsburgh. And I'll stay at a hotel there. There's a Bob Evans in walking distance, and it's a really nice area. It's, it's sort of a, it's like a few hotels in sort of a cul-de-sac uh, with a few restaurants around. And it's just a really sweet, kind of quiet, peaceful area. So I'll stay there Sunday night, wake up early Monday, and then drive five hours home. And, um, you know, we don't know what's going to be happening over the next month or two. The Cincinnati Toy Show is supposed to happen in October. I hope it, I hope it happens. I don't know if it'll happen. And if it doesn't, it's okay. Um, because I know it'll happen at some point, but, um, but I really wanted to get back out to Ohio. And so even if I could just head out to Columbus for one show, uh, that alone is a true blessing. So I am actually just approaching exit 75 toward new Stanton, which is where I have to veer off. And then I think I have another 60 miles or so. And within, within about an hour, hour and a half I should be at my destination. I had stopped off for a small lunch halfway through the trip. I wanted to preserve my appetite for dinner at Melman's Cafeteria. Melman's came as a recommendation by a local at the hotel where I had stayed the first time I came out, and I always make sure to eat there at least once during every Ohio trip. However, I forgot about Melman's hours of operation. Getting off to a later start that morning put me in a tough position. At a rest stop along the way, I checked the hours and realized the restaurant would close at 7 o'clock that evening. My GPS estimated my arrival time after the rain delay would be 6.40, giving me 20 minutes to get my food and to eat. I thought about foregoing the restaurant and dining somewhere else, but I figured I still had a chance and if they knew that someone was driving all the way from New Jersey to eat there, they'd likely let me stay a few minutes longer. Melman's is not a fancy restaurant by any means. In fact, it would be a place you might see recommended as a hidden gem on a television show like Guy Fieri's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. 
Melman's was founded by Fred and Mary Melman in 1961 and offered homemade comfort food in a cafeteria setting. You'd enter down a long hallway, grab a tray and some silverware. In front of you would be a menu on a large wooden sign against the wall, with prices that seemed to be from an era past. Surprisingly, the first offering to choose from would be dessert. Slices of pecan pie, lemon custard, ones dripping with cherries or apples call out to you, and it's hard not to load your tray with five or six of them. I'm not even a fan of desserts, and yet there's something about seeing these dishes made from scratch that reminds me of my family's cooking. There's something authentic and special about it. And in the age of fast food and previously prepared meals, finding something that was made that day, using the same recipes from decades ago, is a treat. And there's no better way to be welcomed back to Ohio than with a home-cooked dinner. I arrived at 6.40 and raced into the restaurant. I was surprised to see a line of people waiting to pay for their meals, and a number of patrons soon followed me. I knew I wouldn't be the last person to leave, and figured the staff would start to clean up once they closed their doors at 7, letting the remaining group of us finish our meals. One of the drawbacks to arriving late is the lack of options available. I like to get something hearty, like their meatloaf, which the server kindly informed me was gone. I grabbed the last piece of fried chicken and settled for their fall-off-the-fork roast beef and gravy. The server handed me a bowl of mashed potatoes and finished off my plate with a generous scooping of green beans. I carried the tray over to a quiet area along the wall of the main dining room and planted myself at a table. A group of gentlemen came in from playing golf, and their conversation was a jovial and positive one. They shared stories with one another, and some of the diners laughed along with them. It was peaceful and relaxing, and for the first time that day, I could feel my body start to unwind after a long and sometimes tense car ride. After eating, I stopped off at a few stores in the vicinity to pick up some items and some food for the trip. I went into one store as the sun was setting, and when I returned to my car, the moon was out and the sky was a deep black around me. I was still hungry, even after eating at Melman's only an hour or so before. My fear was that I wouldn't sleep, or that I would wake up in the middle of the night, and so I did something I don't normally do when I travel. I had what my family lovingly calls second dinner, because apparently I have the appetite of a baby elephant. So I drove down the road to a steak and shake to have a hamburger and fries. As I finished my burger, I could feel myself growing more and more tired. I headed back to my hotel, bringing in the items I couldn't carry earlier. And while a preseason football game came to a close on the television in front of me, I shut my eyes and didn't open them until the morning. It is Saturday morning, and I had a great night's sleep last night. I am standing at my window looking out over the beautiful scenery in front of me, uh, ready to get into my car and to head to breakfast in a few minutes. I'm just finishing packing up, and I'll be checking out of the hotel now. Uh, but I got a great night's sleep, which is wonderful. Um, you know, sometimes it's... It's one of those things where the night before you don't get a great sleep because, you know, it's a long travel or, you know, something happens. And, um, and then you kind of suffer uh, the, the next day. And um, this, is, this is the type of day where you really need a good sleep because from this point on it's going to really be a blur. Um, you know, driving out two hours to Columbus, meeting a friend for lunch, uh, then heading over to the show and we're going to be 
uh, loading in everything for the show. And I stepped outside uh, a few minutes ago just to start loading up my car. As I said, it's about 10.30 right now, and it's already blisteringly hot. Was not expecting that. Um, <laughs> so hopefully it'll cool down. We were supposed to get thunderstorms. Doesn't look like it now. Um, but it's going to be a really nice day. Mark Ryan and Christian Kuhn posted uh, a video of them driving to the, the show. They're on their way to Columbus. And they have a ton of stuff with them. Uh, <laughs> they've packed, I think they rented a truck, and they've packed it to the ceiling. And it's just one of the vendors, you know, uh, or I should say two of the vendors who are going to be there. And that's just one of their, their offerings. Um, so I, I really can't wait. I mean, that was one of the first things I thought of when I woke up today was I can't wait to just hunt again and to, to dig into boxes and to, you know, to be going to a, a real toy show. And uh, the fact that the day is here is really special. So we'll see what today brings. I checked out of the hotel and returned to Melman's for brunch. In the past, Melman's opened at 10.30, which gave me enough time to eat and to get on the road at a reasonable time for my two-hour ride to Columbus. But the restaurant had changed its morning hours from when I was there in 2019, and now opened at 11. Surprisingly, there was a line of diners waiting at the entrance. We all stood near the doorway, and the line began to run down the ramp leading out to the parking lot. Even standing in the shade of that awning, you could feel the intensity of the day's heat. I plugged that thought for the moment, and instead of worrying about what setup would be like later that day, I focused on the fact that I was in St. Clairsville again, and back at Melman's again, preparing for another home-cooked meal. Once the doors opened at 11, I was pleased to see Meatloaf was back on the menu and ordered a large slice of it, with mashed potatoes and gravy and some mixed vegetables. After I paid for my meal, the server suggested I avoid the main dining area, as there was a problem with the air conditioning, and instead sit in either of the two side dining rooms. Walking into the dining room on the left side, there seemed to be a 20 degree difference. As I ate, I reflected on the time spent at the restaurant in the past, the meals I had and the phone calls I had received while I was there from people like Ryan Lemkel and Zach Curtis, who shared special prototype finds that would later appear for sale at the Columbus show that particular weekend. Eating at Melman's had not only become a tradition, but was a kickoff to what always seemed to be a special weekend in Ohio, where each one would be unique in memorable ways. I finished brunch and set my GPS for the address to a hotel just outside of Columbus. The ride would be two hours, and I had plans to meet up with Zach once I arrived in the Columbus area, before heading to the show for setup. During the ride, I thought it would be fun to share some of the Columbus finds from over the years. Okay, so since I'm hoping to have some conversations with collectors about amazing finds, uh, when I'm at the Columbus show, I thought it'd be interesting to just highlight maybe five of my own amazing finds from the various Columbus toy shows over the years. I've been going there since 2017, and I've gone to every single one that they've had. CTS puts on two a year, one in the spring and one in the fall, and so I always travel for those. And so I won't do these in any order, but here are five of the memorable, amazing finds uh, that I've had while at the show. So the first one would be one that had kind of a, a crazy story and, and took the entire weekend to make happen. Um, but uh, through my friend Zach, I was able to connect with a seller who had two Power of the Force prototype mock-up boxes. And these were the 1998 creature sets. So there was a Rancor with a Luke Jedi, and then a Bantha with a, uh, with a Sand Person, or a Tusken Raider. And these mock-ups were really interesting. So the, the Rancor and the Luke Jedi figure were samples, or first shots, and they were actually painted in, in different colors. Uh, so there were marked paint differences. Uh, the Rancor was like a darker brown and had different highlights. And the Luke Jedi was, I believe, a gray, where he's normally black. 
And I can't remember the changes to the Bantha, but I know that the Tuscan Raider sitting on the Bantha had a staff that was pink, which was really interesting. But what makes these so special is that they were mocked up, meaning that the packaging wasn't ready at the time. The designs weren't finished. And so instead what they did is they, they cut out the, the box, the shape of the box, and had a plastic window in the front of it. So it looked like your standard box uh, that you see with these creature um, sets. The only difference was that they used whatever boxes they had. And a lot of times, you know, like for this one, it was it was a white um, Disney kids box. You know, it was used for like a almost like a, a Disney version of a Fisher Price type toy. But it looks it looks exactly like the the final product. It just the the box doesn't have the graphics uh, because they were still working on them. So I got a call when I was at Melman's Cafeteria on my my Friday night dinner from Zach that these would be available, uh, that he had a friend who was looking to sell them. I had no idea, you know, what, what they would go for or anything like that, but I told him I was interested. I told him what I'd pay for them. And then as I, I was, I was incredibly excited. And then when I left Melman's and I was driving back to the, um, to my hotel, Zach called and he said, the guy wanted a little more than what I was looking to spend. And that, um, you know, basically he claimed them for me and that if the price was too high and I didn't want them, um, that he, you know, he would take them. And I think they were maybe like 50 or a hundred dollars more than what I was willing to spend, you know, initially. And so even at that price, I thought they were great. Uh, hadn't really seen anything like that come up. They were beautiful. Uh, I love Luke Jedi and I love the Rancor. It's one of my favorite sets. So, so I grabbed them and I thought he was coming on Saturday during setup. He didn't show up. He was supposed to come then for the the show on Sunday and he didn't show up for the longest time. He wound up showing up really as I was getting ready to leave and he brought in the boxes and he said that he had done some research after we had made the deal and that he thought that they were worth more than, than, um, what we had made the deal for. And so, at that point, there were a number of <laughs> dealers, collectors, vultures, of course. I mean, that's what happens. It's, it's, you know, sharks Sharks appear when you throw blood in the water. And so they were all kind of circling around. So I, I pulled them off to the side. We, um, we went over to, to uh, where the, they serve the food. They have these tables, this kind of isolated area. And he and I sat and talked. And... I met him halfway on what he was looking for. Um, we had made the deal already, but I understood, and, and really not knowing what these things were going for, um, after he and I talked it out and heard from other collectors, then we agreed on a, on a price. Both of us walked away very happy, and so those are two pieces that I just really love. The second one I shared on the 50th episode when I did my, uh, my six stories. And it was a carded Power of the Force R2-D2 with the pop-up saber. Unpunched, no price stickers, graded straight 85s, meaning the card, the bubble, and the, and the figure were all graded at an 85. Uh, and I was able to pick it up essentially for, I think, a third of what they're going for now. You know, and, and I picked this up in 2019. Uh, it was an amazing price back then. It's a little <laughs> more amazing now. Um, you know, the prices had really started to shoot up on the, the a lot of the Power of the Force figures, but especially the R2-D2 with the pop-up saber. And I had, I had three of them already, and I was hoping to buy another one at some point, because I just, anytime I find a good one, I like picking them up. But the prices had shot up to the point where I never thought I was going to get another one. And that item is special to me because it let me know, hey, you know what, don't ever give up. Or don't ever think that you won't be able to get something, because even the best stuff does turn up, um, and and does turn up for a really good price. You know, you don't have to pay retail or even something like thirty percent over retail, fifty percent, which is what people have been doing during the, the quarantine. Um, but there are all, like going to toy shows 
is a very special thing and there are always really good finds if you take the time and look hard enough. My third memory would be buying <laughs> buying a hundred green Luke Jedi sabers over the course of a few years uh, from a good friend of mine. And um, he and his wife were buying a new house. And so every time he would come to the show, he would bring some green sabers for me. And I would always say, okay, that's another, that's another brick you know, in, in building your house, right? That's going to the, the, the house foundation. And I never realized how many I was picking up. I mean, I would just pick them up as, as he had them. They were all authentic. Uh, there's a, a nice long history that I'll share with you one day uh, about about him and about the, the, the sabers and, and the pieces. Um, but they were, when I got home, I, I think, I've never actually counted them up until recently, and it turns out to be uh, right around 100, maybe a little more. Um, but those are very special, you know, and as a Luke Jedi collector, I love them. Um, and again, I never expected to find something like that going out to Columbus, and that was just a, a real treat. And for all you modern fans out there, uh, one of my one of my best pickups had been an Arc Trooper set from the Clone Wars collection. If you collect Clone Wars, you know that that is really one of the most expensive and rarest pieces out there. And I think now they go somewhere in the five hundred to seven hundred dollar range. I haven't looked them up in a while, so forgive me if I'm a little off. But it's somewhere around there. And the set, I think it was put out in. I'm going to say 2011 uh, as part of the, the Dark Skies packaging they call it a lot of times. It's usually, you know, it's um, it's the packaging that is that, that dark blue with the storm clouds and it usually, it has uh, Rex's helmet on the packaging usually. So this was an ARC Trooper set and it consisted of four troopers. It was Captain Rex, ARC Trooper Fordo, um, and then ARC Trooper, it was the red ARC Trooper and the blue ARC Trooper. It's Havoc and Hammer, I believe. And they were only released in that set. And I believe that the Rex may be exclusive, too. But it, um, he definitely came with exclusive accessories um, that are only... Well, that's what exclusive means. But they're only exclusive to, to that set. And so I was going through a... a a table, and the, a guy had a ton of stuff. Um, he had basically, really, almost everything you could think of from the 20, late 2011 to 2013 run. And so, I was able to pick that up at the time for $175. And at the time, they were going for $300, so I thought that was a great buy. Um, the box is not in perfect condition, but to me, it's perfect. And at the table, he also had... Uh, a number of the 2013 carded Clone Wars figures. It was the last three and three quarter inch release for the Clone Wars figures. Uh, they were mixed in with some of the uh, characters from from the different films as well too. But um, and a, a number of them were exclusive only to Canada, and these were marked with a card back that has Yoda kind of jumping in the air holding a lightsaber and one of the rarest and most expensive modern figures out there comes from this line and it is a 501st trooper and it's a beautiful one it comes with a jetpack uh it has a blue markings on on a white helmet and i think it has like a red triangle on the on the, the top of it it has some red marking and i've always loved this figure uh they were very expensive at the time and I think I got it for something like $75. Um, now they go for $200. But it was in perfect shape. Um, and, you know, so for me to be able to pick up those two, uh, I, I'd put that as my fourth story. And to be able to pick up those two really meant a lot to me. Uh, they're two of my favorite modern pieces in my collection. And my final story <laughs> would be uh, 
would actually be it would be two items picked up in two different years, um, but it's the same item. Uh, I just picked it up twice, and I picked it up for the same exact price, which was amazing. Um, so I'm, as you probably know, I'm a huge Ahsoka fan, and every chance I get where I see a nice VC-102, which is the vintage collection release uh, for the three and three quarter inch line of uh, a lifelike Ahsoka or like a live action looking Ahsoka. Um, at the time, I think they were going for probably around $100 and I picked one up in 2018 for, for $90. And again, unpunched, beautiful. Um, and then a year later, in the fall of 2019, I was walking by a gentleman's table and he had one and it looked pretty good. And at the time they had shot up, I think they were $120 in 2018. And then in 2019, they were about 140. And the gentleman wanted $100. I asked him if he would do 90, and he agreed. So I picked both of mine up for $90. And if you are a vintage collector, <laughs> a vintage collection collector, or an Ahsoka fan, and are familiar with the VC-102, uh, they go for quite a bit now. So I was fortunate to be able to pick up those two from Columbus at what I feel are fantastic prices. So those are some of my amazing finds. I'm really hoping that between today and tomorrow, I'll be able to talk to a number of collectors who have had amazing finds either at the show or you know around the area and, and over the years as well too. But there are a lot of gems at Columbus. As I always say, it's one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite show right now. So um, it's always been a special one. I can't wait to see everybody there. Zach and I met around 2 o'clock at a Longhorns restaurant that wasn't too far from the hotel. And it was the first time we had been together since the Cincinnati show in October of 2019. He shared tales from the trips he and his wife took across the country to places like Las Vegas, Florida, and some of the national parks once the quarantine restrictions had lifted. Zach is a dentist now and has been very successful in his work. Hearing about his approach to his role and the steps he has made in the past year to build up his practice has been very inspiring. And Zach mentioned a number of blessings that have come in the way of toy finds during the past eight months. Having some time to catch up with a friend like Zach before entering a toy show setting is also a blessing. Being able to sit in a booth together at a restaurant after the lunch crowd dissipated with enough time allotted between destinations, gave us an opportunity to enjoy our meal and to focus on reconnecting. We always talk about collecting because it's such a part of our lives, but we also talk about things like life experiences, our faith, and the direction our lives are going. Zach was the first familiar face I saw on the trip, and at that point, in that restaurant, it hit me that I was about to be back in Columbus at the toy show again surrounded by so many of our mutual collector friends. After lunch, Zach and I headed to the show. The Lausch building of the Ohio Expo Center was a 20-minute trek from the restaurant through the city section of Columbus. That ride to the show the afternoon of setup is always my least favorite part of any trip out to Ohio, just because I hate navigating around the outskirts of a city, especially when approaching rush hour. 
We arrived shortly before four o'clock, and the vendor check-in line stretched the length of the building. I was helping my friend Pete LaRose set up his table and spotted him almost immediately. Pete was already in line, and as soon as he was able to pick up the vendor bracelets, I and two of his friends helped to unload his truck. Pete's setup is always impressive, and he brought more collectibles than ever before. Every seat in his SUV was filled with boxes of sealed and loose items, ranging from Masters of the Universe to Star Wars, and his inventory focuses on lines from the latter part of the 20th century. But Pete also had a vast amount of modern toys with him, including one of the earliest and rarest Star Wars Power of the Force 2 store displays. At a recent toy show, a collector commented that he waits to see what Pete brings to each show, because there's always something different, something he's never seen before, and he usually has to buy it. And when you develop a reputation like that, it makes these trips worthwhile to the people who know you and seek out your wares. By the time we began to cart the boxes into the show building, we were fortunate to work with the slight breeze at our backs. However, it was so hot that most of the vendors' shirts were lined with sweat after only the first trip out to their cars. The sun baked most of the land around us, and there was no shade near the parking lots on the front and side of the building. It's funny, every Columbus toy show I've attended usually takes place in September. And although the summer temperatures can carry into the month, by the time the toy show weekend is upon us, the cooler mornings and evenings start to come into play. But with this year's show occurring at the end of August, it fell victim to the last heat wave of the season. Only three days earlier, Pete and I transferred the overflowing contents of two massive storage units he purchased to a 20-foot U-Haul truck. It was during this heat wave, and it was an immense challenge. And as I piled a few bins onto Pete's cart, I realized that we were doing this in what was one of the hottest weeks of the year. Within the hour, we managed to unload Pete's truck and set everything he brought across two tables in the venue. We constructed shelves to hold larger, bigger ticket items behind the tables and pulled in as many items as we could from the boxes that held them. Pete stood back like a jazz trumpeter, surveying the musical landscape in front of him, slowly tapping his foot to the rhythm before him, aligning the structure of the song with what was in his head as he nodded in time turning carded figures to quarter notes and boxes into bars, and preparing the improvisational sheet music as only he could. He was gearing up for his solo, and he was finally ready. I asked him if he needed help with positioning anything, and he told me he needed to figure out his arrangement on his own. He knew what to do. It comes from years of setting up at shows and being able to feel out the flow of the table. And unless we could see into his head, we were better off taking a tour of the venue as he and the rest of the musicians played their parts for a while. Okay, so it is 4.40. It's almost five o'clock and the show has officially begun, or at least set up for it. As you can hear, there's a lot going on. It's bustling, it is larger than ever. Uh, James has done an amazing job with it, but I mean, there's tables going from the front to the back, uh, all the way from, from the left to the right. and. Uh, I've just never seen this many tables before. People are bringing some incredible pieces. All the tables are empty right now except for a handful, but they're starting to slowly be put together. And so we helped Pete set up, we put everything together, and now we're just, you know, waiting. And now he's going to do his jazz work, his improv, and we're gonna sit back and let him put that together. 
Oh, there's there's really cool. Sorry, there's really cool stuff already. There are banners, um, which I'm guessing are Star Wars stuff. Um, there's a lot of modern. I'm seeing a lot of modern Hot Wheels, Ghostbusters, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and a Black Series Rancor set for three hundred dollars. A few pops. Hopefully, we don't see very many of those. A lot of the vendors have pulled in a lot of tables. It was good to see a number of familiar faces again. Chris Neal, owner of the Cincinnati store, the toy department, had been making deals before setup began, and within the first half hour, walked back to his table with one of the largest toys ever produced for an action figure line, a boxed USS flag from 1985's G.I. Joe series. The toy alone measures nearly eight feet in length. And during my first walk around the show floor, I ran into Aaron, a seller who is known for his cube-like setup in which he hangs many items on the exterior and interior of his black wireframe walls. Or Dylan Greer, who sets up next to Zach and always has rare vintage Star Wars figures and even rarer Star Wars pre-production pieces. And in the center of the floor, with a setup spanning six tables and the tallest banner in the venue were Ryan and Sean Lemkel, pulling vintage Star Wars figures from the black and yellow plastic bins they carry to every show. The show was a puzzle whose pieces were slowly interlocking, and I was beginning to see the picture that James Ford aimed to bring to life over the course of the evening, and it was a beautiful one. I walked past a table, and the couple behind it called out to me. They remembered me from the show two years earlier, when I had helped them authenticate some vintage Star Wars weapons. I purchased a Luke Jedi figure with a cape and a wicket from the animated Ewoks line, and asked them if they had brought any other Star Wars figures with them. The gentleman told me he had a complete set of 12-backs, the first carded Star Wars figures ever released, and I laughed but I soon found out he wasn't joking. He said he didn't bring them to sell, but had hoped someone would be able to look at them to see if they would be worth grading. I went behind their table and discreetly pulled out carded figure after carded figure. Some of the figures, like the Death Squad Commander, was on a 12A card, the very first ones that made it to stores. Each one would make a nice addition to someone's collection and would display nicely, but they were hoping some would grade an 80 or higher, and from my experience, all of them would grade about a 70 or below. I suggested they pass on grading them and not bother with the extra expenses or the current wait times of what could be a number of months. A mutual friend, Eric Baker, later came by to help the couple price each one, and they were very happy with the results, as the majority of them sold over the course of the show. Ryan Bauer and Dennis Ciccolero had set up at the show as well. I spent time with Ryan and Dennis two weeks earlier as we went out to dinner after setup at the Toys for the Ages show in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And there's something about seeing the same people at these shows, especially seeing them time after time over the course of a few weeks. It builds bonds and the shows become a moment in time that many of us were able to experience together. So there are more people here than have ever been here before. Uh, that's tables, vendors, people helping to set up as well, too. A lot of times you get tables at other shows where people bring a few items and they, they kind of, you know, scatter stuff on their tables. People brought in full shelves. Uh, they have cases with tons of figures in them. We have transformers and stuff to our right. Uh, left, we have a Hulk from the 70s, uh, some 80s Transformers and G.I. Joe, uh, an Empire Strikes Back box slave one. It's really hard to tell though because a lot of the stuff right now is in boxes. So it's people literally just bringing in tubs and cardboard boxes of stuff. And I found that at a show like this, you have to keep walking around. You know, even if you're even if you're in the process of setting up, um, because as stuff starts to come out, you never know if you're the first person to get there. You know, and see it. 
So, there are so many modern Star Wars pieces here. This is one of those shows where you really, you really want to be here at least once, just to see what it's like. Uh, it stretches the entire length of the building, which is a full expo center. Um, it's huge. I, I think I was talking yesterday, and I, I said that you know I, I thought if you were to go up and down the aisles and check out the show, it would probably take you maybe an hour or two. Uh, I, I think it would really take you at least three hours just to, you know, to, to stop and to see everything, to look at every table. Um, this is also fun, too, because I've walked up and down some of these once already, and now I'm making my second trip. And even during the second trip, we're starting to see uh, people erecting um, shelves that weren't there before. Um, one gentleman who I know is, is putting up grading, uh, and he hooks all of his carded figures and his, his box items around and into that grating. All right, I'm going to head back to Pete and see if he needs any help. Check in registration if you're loading in and you are wrong. Please make sure you come up and check in registration and get your wristband. Also, please, there is no loading in through any doors other than the two garage doors at the north and south side of the building. Please do not load in through the side doors. part of the show that I actually forgot about uh, and it's it's something that's pretty special and it's just you know after walking around it's a, it's this wonderful mix of feeling a little overwhelmed in a really good way and then feeling really relaxed and happy and it's just being back at a show like this you know and being at a show that's this huge with this many people running into people I haven't seen in forever and um, just being overjoyed at that so I'm glad to have this feeling back. I kind of forgot about this for a while, you know, having, having it be this joyful. And <laughs> I always find myself when I'm walking, uh, I'm humming to myself and I'll catch myself. And when I do, uh, I, I realize like I've, I've hit that, that point where it's that perfect blend of being overwhelmed in a happy way and being just really relaxed and joyful. So um, I hope everybody feels like this at, at shows and I hope everyone gets to experience a show like the Columbus Toy Show because I think it's just it's something that is so meaningful and special and just to be surrounded by this many toys and by this many collectors and dealers is pretty cool. By 9 o'clock, as the doors to the Lausch building closed for the night, many of the vendors wearily shuffled back to their cars, shouting goodbyes to one another. I had originally hoped to do a group dinner with some of the other collectors, but I think everyone was too tired. And frankly, I was not in the mood to do anything other than to have a well-deserved meal. A few people were going to a nearby casino, and after making a few vintage Star Wars purchases during setup, the last thing I wanted to do was spend more money. Pete suggested Longhorn Steakhouse, which was within walking distance from our hotel, and it sounded like the perfect spot to get off our feet. We sat there and caught up on life for more than two hours as he ate a perfectly cooked steak and I had a hamburger and french fries. Our conversation ranged from political moments and speeches that inspired him to our memories of the storage unit find earlier in the week to Pete's prototype plush wicked figure that he discovered at an antique mall in Cincinnati on his way to the Columbus show that morning. And you wind up with a, you wind up with a, with a plush, plush Ewok, Ewok prototype, that. sure. Yeah, that, yeah. I was walking around. It was funny. I was walking around the the um, antique mall with it, and I don't know if you've ever been in some of the larger antique malls. They have employees that walk around, and and when they see you carrying something, they they ask you to take it. They they want to take it up to the front for you, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't let them take it up to the front. I'm like, no, no, I got it, I got it. So now I'm there walking around this antique mall carrying a plush little Ewok in my hand, like it's a little baby, and you know, cute girl walks by, and I'm kind of kind of smile and then I look down what I'm holding I'm like oh crap <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it's I, I wouldn't I, I 
just in case anybody who worked there or anything like that, I was like, nope, I'm going to carry it until I buy it. That mm-hmm. was my... Yeah, no, when you find something like this, you hold on you to hold it. Hold on to it. Absolutely. So, but it all worked out. It was it was good. It was it was a good day. It was a good good uh purchase. I didn't really find anything at the show today I wanted, but it was always tomorrow. Absolutely. And we've seen it. And that's one of the the really cool things about a show like Columbus is you may you may stay for the entire setup on Saturday and then you show up on on Sunday and someone comes in with, you know, a whole new bag of stuff or a vendor who had set up on Saturday night, maybe sold stuff, decided to you know to go back. Bring home more, bring or they forgot a box or a bag, or their buddy is coming with him with his stuff, and yeah, you never know what you're going to find. Yeah, we've seen we've seen prototypes, we've seen original art, we've seen vintage and modern pieces that are incredibly rare, you know, show up, and so hopefully some of that shows up tomorrow. Yeah, no, I mean, and and hearing some conversations, a buddy of mine was talking to a lady, and turns out she has she's. She's been collecting for years and years, and she's looking to sell some of, if not all, of her collection. And it's a lot of, uh, a lot of prototypes for Care Bears and Strawberry Shortcake stuff. So good for him. He's working that, and hopefully it works out for him. But, yeah, it's, you never know what you're going to walk into. Awesome. All right, well, we will be doing that in, uh, gosh, less than five hours we'll be waking up. So here we go. Here's to another adventure and another hunt. Absolutely, and uh, don't don't take my Ewok in your bed, please. (laughs) All right, good night from Columbus. Good night.